are listening to Impact Hustlers, and I am your host, Michael Schaffert. I have made it my mission to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to solve some of the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And for this reason, I am speaking to some of the best entrepreneurs out there who are solving problems such as food waste, climate change, poverty, and homelessness. My goal is that Impact Hustlers will inspire you either by starting an impact business yourself, by joining the team of one, or by taking a small step, whatever that may be, towards being part of the solution to the world's biggest problems. In today's episode, I speak to Martin Rich, the co-founder and executive director of the Future Fit Foundation. FutureFit has made it their mission to support companies in building social and environmental impact into their business models and helping investors to select the most promising impact-driven companies um, and building impact into their investment thesis. Uh, rather than simply helping companies become a few percent more efficient and reducing energy consumption by a little bit and do here and there, I think the approach of FutureFit is very interesting, not by focusing on helping companies do less bad, but actually imagining what does a company look like that kind of has a net positive impact on society and on the planet and actually takes the social and environmental challenges that we are facing very seriously. Um, and FutureFit at the moment works with a broad range of companies, um, but some of the prominent ones are uh, companies like The Body Shop uh, and uh, Fuji Xerox, uh, which are working with you right now. Um, it's really great to have you on the show, Martin, and uh, thanks for joining. Absolute pleasure. Perfect. If, if I look at your career, you've actually spent a lot of time in your career, most of your career in investment banking. And uh, um, I think after HSBC, you transitioned more towards the social impact side. You joined uh, social finance. You were a sales director there um, and uh, were there for quite a few years, I think uh, over seven years or so. Um, and then during the last few years at social finance, uh, I think you actually came up with the idea for FutureFit, or you at least kind of established FutureFit at that time. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit more about that moment when you first discovered that there is a mission to solve for you, there's a problem to solve, and how you made that transition from, oh, there's something to be solved here to actually starting FutureFit. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, thank you, Michael, for having me on. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, uh, the, the journey was an interesting one, uh, and, and, and obviously it, it looks very planned with the benefit of hindsight. It, it, it really wasn't. Um, as you say, I started investment in, in investment banking, um, then moved into the social impact space, uh, and that was a desire to, uh, to take all of the financial experience and knowledge that I had and start using that for, for something a bit more purposeful than just making sort of wealthy people wealthier or you know, hedging things for big companies, which was, I was, I was basically doing risk management uh, work for, for, for big corporations, which was fine, but not overly fulfilling. And so taking those skills and using them to help social enterprises and, and charities to, to raise capital to be more um, uh, sustainable in the financial sense and uh, to be more resilient, you know, just was, was a great thing to go and do. And that taught me a lot about the impact space. But while I was there, I, I sort of began to um, to realize that it 
was only ever going to be a relatively small fix to a much bigger problem. And the analogy I, I often use is, and I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have, will have heard the, the anecdote, but there's a story of a, a, a young man watching an old man walking up the beach, stopping every few yards and picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the water. And the beach is filled with these starfish that have been pushed in by the tide, which has now gone out and these starfish are dying and this old guy is wandering along and lobbing the old one back in. And the young guy sort of eventually goes down and says to him, what are you doing? You're wasting your time because like, you know, you've, you've missed all these other starfish and in 12 hours, the tide will just bring them all back in again. And the old man smiles and bends down, picks one up and lobs it in and says, well, I've helped that one. And I've helped that one. Uh, and you get the idea. And it felt to me that the impact space is fantastic, but it's very much about that, you know, sort of one or two starfish at a time approach. And mm -hmm. as an engineer by training, as a sort of a big picture thinker, I wouldn't have said I was a systems thinker at the time. Perhaps I'd use that language now. Um, but I look at a problem like that and I think, how do we build a seawall that stops most of those starfish coming in in the first place? Mm -hmm. I think to solve almost any problem in the world, right, you typically need both and. You, you need something that's um, working with the tide but protecting most of the starfish, but there are always going to be starfish that fall through through the net or come around the wall. And so you always need those at the front line, you know, at the coalface organizations helping individuals mm. or parts of the planet. Um, and you also need those bigger macro solutions in place. And as I began to sort of dig more into the social impact issues that we have around the environmental challenges and sort of began to think more broadly about all of those, realized that we needed something that fundamentally shifted our approach to those big issues. And the impact space and the, and the coal face sort of space is fantastic. But I was like, okay, how do I, how do I change the whole system? And coming from the financial side, that basically meant how do we show any investor what the impact of their portfolio is on the world because every portfolio has an impact um, whether or not it defines itself as an impact purposed uh, investment or not the things you are investing in are affecting people and planet in some good ways and usually in quite a lot of bad ways at the same time if you're financing those in any way shape or form you are partly responsible for that impact so every portfolio has an impact but what is it and it was the waking up to that um, and blending that with this idea of um, uh, somebody else in the sector called it three-dimensional investing. So moving from financial risk reward to financial risk reward and positive and negative impact to sort of adding a third dimension, if you like. Um, putting those ideas together, it was like, that's what I want to solve. I want to create that third axis. I want to show investors what it means for their portfolios to be, or what is the impact their portfolio is having? So what would it mean to transform that? And through that, start shifting you know, all of the capital in the world to understand what it's doing, and therefore, hopefully, to transform it to move us on the right journey. Got it. Um, you're serving mainly two different customer segments with FutureFit, which is companies, mostly larger companies, more established companies, and then investors as well. Talk us a bit through how does FutureFit work for both these groups? How how do you work with them? Yeah. Um, so firstly, as a as a charity, as a nonprofit, 
all that we produce in terms of the the technology, the the IP behind what does it mean to get to this future point, this line in the sand that we've we've helped to to define or to operationalize from the underlying system science. Um, to show organizations how to get there, we've produced all of this guidance, which is freely available. So when we when we talk about working with, it's actually it's the organizations who are using our framework. Um, so we're not a consultancy. Um, we actually train consultants to use our framework. Um, so we're not trying to compete with people here. We're just trying to get this methodology. We want to become, if you like, the the ESG, the sustainability intel inside every business and every investor in the world. Um, the, the names that we talk about tend to be the big ones. Actually, we're working, or a lot of SMEs are using uh, our framework as well around the world, which is fantastic. Um, just people haven't typically heard their names. Uh, so we, you know, obviously we tend to talk more about the big brands. Yeah. Um, and the way we work with both sides is, is, is this is a beautiful sort of, um, symmetry, if you like, of, of, of the way the methodology has been created by showing one individual company, what does it mean to understand where it is today in terms of the harm it's causing? What would it mean for it to be causing no harm and to be thinking about what that journey looks like? And that's broken down into 23, what we call break-even goals. And we say, think about it as like the sliders on a, on a soundboard or, or on your old stereo system, if you had a graphic equalizer, if you're old enough to remember those things. And, and it's about pushing those dials all the way up to 100% across all of those goals. That's a journey. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's 10, 15, 20 years' time, maybe more for, for some organizations. But it's about saying, where are, where are those sliders set today? What does that dashboard for your company look like today versus where you need to be to eliminate all of your harm and at the same time on the positive side what is it that you are doing to deliver your purpose why do we want you to succeed as an organization what does that look like and then how do you do more and more of that with less and less of the harm so that becomes the journey of transformation that the company goes on whether they're a multinational or whether they're an sme and then for the investors you're simply looking at that journey and saying, okay, do I want, is, is that enough? Am I happy with that? Do I want to support the company in that transformation? Are they transforming? Uh, are they even, you know, agreeing to go on this journey? And if they are, is it, is it quickly enough for me? And by having a consistent methodology that works for any company, any size, anywhere, you can aggregate that across a portfolio. So the beauty becomes if you've got your portfolio and you know what all the underlying companies within that, and if one day in time as we get adopted enough around the world, every company is reporting that, that dashboard, well, you can just aggregate those dashboards and you have a blended dashboard for your portfolio. Hmm. And now as an investor, even as an, you know, we want to get to the point where as an individual, you're looking on your smartphone at your pension or your ISA or whatever savings you might have. And you're going to be able to see instantly the footprint, the future fit footprint of that portfolio. That's democratizing finance. Now you say, well, I don't like that. I don't want a portfolio that's causing that much harm to the planet or has that risk of slavery in the supply chains, whatever it might be. I want to change that. And you know, then it becomes very easy because now you just, what do you want it to look like? Okay, well, which organizations will push you in that direction? 
And then that drives better behavior in the companies because they want to drive the customer adoption. They want to keep the investors. They want to keep their reputation. They want to show they're genuine about what they're doing. So now we start to create a race to the top rather than a race to be slightly better than everybody else, which is unfortunately mostly what we've got going on at the moment, which just leads to, well, I killed slightly less people than you did last year. Well, if you do, you know, that's, that's not exactly what we're trying to, to get to here. So having that positive reinforcing loop, these are the goals and targets that I'm setting. This is what I'm doing to be genuine. I'm being transparent about where I'm good, where I'm not so good. Here's the journey I'm on as a customer, as an employee, as an investor, support us in this journey and help us to do it better, more quickly, come up with good ideas, help us get to this environmental and social break-even point quicker than all of our peers. So that's how we try and sort of pull the whole the whole piece together. Got it. So you're benchmarking companies, you're showing them the gap between where they are now and where they need to be if they want to basically do no harm anymore and have a positive right. contribution to the planet and to to people and the planet, right? Um, how do they then operationalize that, right? Uh, I, I can imagine it can be quite scary for companies to see, oh God, like we're so far away. Um, what do we do now? Like we don't necessarily have the money to throw billions of dollars at this problem. So what do they do next and how do you help them with that? Or do you focus on that? It's, it's all about this idea of the, the, the transformational journey, right? Hmm. And to, to transform, what, what are you transforming into? What, what's the destination looking like? Yeah. And what we found was that, um, all of these companies around the world were, were struggling to, to, to understand where they really needed to, to get to. And they had all of these different NGOs and groups and frameworks and things being thrown at them and told to report on this and do that and all the rest of it. And, you know, a lot of it's good and well-intentioned, some of it's not so good. But, you know, you know it's all sort of trying to get us more or less in the right direction. But nobody had actually defined what does good enough look like and what we realized was that actually system science had defined what good enough looked like but system science was written in very academic esoteric language not very business friendly um, and all the stuff that was written that was business friendly sort of didn't really link into anything sufficiently meaningful that is slowly changing i'm pleased so things like science-based targets and things like that which highly aligned with what we're doing but not in a comprehensive sense. Mm. So what we did was we, we literally operationalized the system science. We created these, these 23 goals. We didn't set out to be 23. We set out saying, what does it mean to reach this line in the sand? We worked with experts, public consultations, et cetera, et cetera, around the world for five or six years to, to develop this up to what it now is, but then provided very detailed guidance behind each of these goals to show very clearly, again, go back to the slider uh, um, idea, what does 100% actually look like? In some goals, it's very easy, 100% renewable energy usage. Okay, it's fairly obvious what 100% looks like. Everybody must be paid at least a living wage. Again, 100% is fairly obvious. Um, some of the goals around um, uh, employee discrimination, Uh, or business ethics and things like that, right? Harder to, to know what 100% might intuitively look like. So we've, we've defined all of that 
linking into um, other best practice around the world. So we set very clearly what that line looks like for each of these sliders, and then to understand where you are today. Now, if you know where you are today and you know where you're going, right, you've got a route map. So that's what we give to companies is a comprehensive environmental social roadmap for what you need to do to truly transform your business. So we've kind of collaborated and, and, and collaborated, I can't speak this morning, collaborated uh, and brought together all of this thinking. Hmm. So companies don't have to think about that bit. What they need to think about is how does this apply to my business? How do I now take my organization on that journey? Right? So we, 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 we've done half the thinking. Now it's like, well, what does it mean for you to not have any carbon emissions from your product or from your operations? How do you ensure that everybody gets paid a living wage? How do you ensure that you understand your supply chain in these ways? And as you look at the benchmark, you wouldn't find anything in there particularly that would surprise you. It's not like we discovered kryptonite. You know, everybody else had missed something that we found. It's not about that. It's about a clear definition. And now how do I go on that on that journey? So that's now where we're really focused is providing really detailed guidance to help companies on that, building case studies of organizations who are using it, getting their feedback. So we start to build this global community who are all committed to the future fit journey, but who say, let's work together to solve these problems. You know, what, what can the Japanese tech industry teach the Brazilian forestry industry? What can they teach the Canadian uh, energy industry? What can they, you know, how do we, that, that becomes for us the, the, the piece of how do we now tie together all of this learning? And we start to draw together these solutions that are, are coming up, you know, we saw during the uh, the summer lockdown, uh, it, was, it was Airbus, I think, saying, um, you know, three types of short, medium, long haul aeroplane, all based on uh, hydrogen turbos, which could be, you know, zero emission aeroplanes. By 2035, I think they said they could be in service. Fantastic. So, okay, well, what are you doing, all of you businesses that are, that are around that? to encourage that and accelerate that and say to that company, if you bring those on stream, you know, we're going to be front of the queue to buy them. How do we help you uh, bring those in service in 2034 or 2033 or 2032? How do we accelerate that process? How do we all work together? So sort of trying to connect all the dots across all the different industries. Got but it. by giving people that roadmap, they know what they need to do. Got it. Um, that's, that's uh, really interesting uh, uh, to hear um, uh, the approach that you have. Um, obviously, if uh, somebody in a company listens to this and says, okay, I think I agree with the goal, like our company needs to transform, but there's like so many different things out there that seem to help me with this. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's things like uh, reporting frameworks, uh, um, things like yeah. that, where you can showcase your transformation Uh, there is things like B Corps, for example, where you can get a certification that you're kind of a social impact driven company. How would you compare FutureFit with things like B Corp or reporting frameworks that are out there? And uh, how, how do you how you're how you're different? Yeah. So firstly, we, we, we're complementary to all of those things, but we are bringing th this whole idea of the what what is the right line in the sand? 
doesn't exist in, in any other framework we've, we've yet come across. All the reporting frameworks and things are, are, are great, and we're seeing a real um, consolidation now of all of those things. I, I imagine people might have spotted this week um, IIRC and SASB are merging. Um, SASB and GRI have been working uh, more and more closely together, and there's this initiative to bring six or seven of them together. So, you know, it's good to see all of that coming together. But reporting, by definition, is backward looking. Yeah. Right? It tells you where you've come from. And all of that stuff has been put together primarily through the sort of the audit and accounting world, whose natural lens is, is that way. Because if you're going to audit something, it needs to have happened. You need to say whether you think it did or it didn't in that way. Um, future fit is fundamentally forward looking. So we're about where are you going and reporting is about where have you come from and how did you do that? So there's obviously there's a transition point, you know, in a year's time, today's one year future is now one year's past. So what one of the pieces of work that we're making sure is that as people start reporting on their future fit journey, that links seamlessly into the SASBs and GRIs and all of these things. So there's a a nice seamless link into that reporting. Um, B-Lab and B Corp, fantastic group, fantastic organization, know them well, love them dearly. And a number of the organizations we work with use both. So it isn't a case of, 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 of either or. Um, we tend to, to say, it, uh, uh, it, it, to use a, an English version, you know, the car goes in for an MOT every year, uh, which is, you know, to get the certificate, say your car is roadworthy. We see it in some ways like B Corp is, is almost like that. It's like certifying that your business, your organization is is ready for the journey. You've got all the bits and pieces in place that you need. But again, it doesn't have that system science-based definition of where do you need to go to. So the body shop is a great example, right? Body shop is a B Corp, but it's using future fit to set its long-term ambitions and goals. So it knows the journey that it's that it's going on. Got it. Really interesting. I think in terms of, uh, I'll try to summarize what I think has happened over the last, uh, let's say, 100, 150 years or something like that, which is quite a long time period. But I think if you look at the development of how companies operate, obviously, you had the industrial revolution where it's pretty much just about, let's, uh, you know, un- un- unrestrained capitalism, basically, let's make it work. We're employing people. Great. That's our positive impact. But beyond that, we don't really care, right? Be, um, to that developing into companies um, having to adapt uh, to some of the pressures of like workers' rights and maybe not kind of putting all the wastewater into the river and stuff like yeah. that and kind of de-risking that a little bit. And then I think over the years, obviously, you got to the point where companies have like social impact initiatives, they have CSR departments, they're reporting on their impact, they yeah. are doing once a year, their employees are helping charities and things like that. Um, and they kind of have this like uh, group of people in the company that is responsible for the impact, but still the business model is pretty much still the traditional one. And it may get better or less less negative impact, but again, it's not really transforming fundamentally, right? Uh, and then I think now in the last few years, I see a movement even for larger companies to be like, okay, that's not enough. Like, we can't right. just delegate the positive impact to our CSR department and then lean back and earn the money. We have to kind of build it 
into the core of what we're about. And I think that's why it's so interesting to talk with you because I feel you're helping companies with building impact into their core rather than having a cute little uh, um, cute little initiative on the side. Uh, it becomes really the core of that. Um, so for um, companies that are looking to become part of that movement and actually want to build it, build impact uh, into their core and uh, eliminate negative impact and build positive impact into the core, What's your main advice to them when they just embark on this journey now? Um, because often these large organizations have loads of things to worry about. And this is just another thing to worry about. It's necessary. But what's your main advice that you've seen uh, is, is essential for those type of companies? Um, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that timeline. And I, I, you know, I always def describe... You know, the, the, there's the bell curve, right? And, and, and what you've described is that sort of shift along of that bell curve in time. And the leaders now are really recognizing the need to embed into the core. And that's becoming more and more as that, that bell curve sort of shifts along. Um, but I think as, as you, as you say, it's with that comes that shifting realization that, 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 that this is no longer an add on. It's not another thing to worry about. It is the very core of your business. Um, I think we, we've grown up enough now to recognize, you know, the opposite of sustainable business is unsustainable business. Why do you want to build an unsustainable business? Who wants to invest in or work for an unsustainable business? And you simply cannot ignore these issues anymore. I mean, even if you've sort of parked your entire moral code and you don't really care about people and the planet, even if you are singularly focused on the dollar bottom line, you have to take these issues incredibly seriously. You know, look, look what happened to Boohoo in the UK over the summer, right? The, the online fashion retailer suddenly came out that, um, at least they've, they've claimed, um, that they were... Uh, the supply chains in Leicester were paying people £3.50 an hour in you know, very cramped conditions that they couldn't separate during the, the pandemic lockdown, etc. You know, terrible accusation. It's you know going through a, a test now to see whether or not it, it, it's right. But the damage that was done, at least in the short term, to their reputation, their share price, them to rebuild all of that, you know, that's gone in a moment. One bad tweet these days destroys your your reputation. We're trying to think through how are you staying one step ahead of all of those things? What if carbon tax gets introduced? What if waste tax gets reintroduced? What if your clients, are so, your, your, your um, customers are suddenly able to return all of their products to you by law? What are you going to do with all of those things? All of this is coming down the line at you in some unknown way, shape or form at some unknown time. Right. Boris Johnson's just said that, uh, um, you know, non, um, so that petrol and diesel cars won't be available yeah. in the UK in like, 10 years. Um, you know, hang on a second. I just built a 20 year business plan to sell. Right. So if you're, if you're not thinking through these issues, it's not that you have a, a crystal ball that you know when things are going to arrive. It's that you know these things are coming and that they are going to be an issue. So you're setting yourself on a journey to de-risk yourself from all of those things. Now, if at the same time, that enables you to you know, build customer loyalty, to build investor loyalty, to 
um, to demonstrate what it is you're doing to make planet and people uh, uh, to, to, to serve them better through your purpose. Fantastic. It's both and, right? It really is win, win, win. So absolutely, the base advice has to be get out of the mindset that this is us another thing to do, hmm. right? Filling in pointless questionnaires, answering useless online questionnaires, and all, that's another thing to do. Embedding true sustainability into the heart of your business, and that's what FutureFit exists to, to, to try and help with and to serve, that is a core essential. So as your new products and services come on board, how are you embedding all of this thinking into that entire design process and everything you're doing? And how are you beginning to sort of shift out of the way that you're, you're currently doing things? So it's not stop everything now, right? It, it's that transitional journey. What are your priorities? Get on with those. And then be thinking about also in the background whether there's longer term transitions to be made. Got it. And what do you think is uh, the biggest issue for more companies to embrace this type of thinking? Like, what do you think stops companies currently from embracing this fully? Is there anything specific that you can point down? Um, I, I think the the biggest uh, the biggest challenge is is probably. Um, inertia within the business right we we um we've always done things this way this is is what we we know and on top of that you've got the um the just the the um how do i know where to to focus next where do i um put the um the effort when i've got so many pressures coming down on top of me um Yes, pan the pandemic has caused a massive challenge with uh, just survival of the company and having to downsize staff maybe or, you know, lose talent, whatever it might have been. Um, so it's absolutely thousand and one pressures coming in on, on top of you. So the idea now that I'm kind of like, oh, really? Now I've got to like change the entire way I do things. Um, that, you know, that it's natural that your reaction to that is going to be negative and then when you know somebody like me comes along and then shows you a dashboard of your company and says by the way you need to be here and stay you're here you know it's a lot less appealing than somebody who comes along with a framework that says oh by the way you're really good yeah you're you're a triple a um and so I, i you know i get that but i would still go back then to all my previous comments that it's actually that this isn't a nice to have this is where we need to be and if planet and people are actually going to flourish in the long term, that the line is here. I haven't put it there. You know, science put it there. That's just a fact. And as you said, 150 years plus since the Industrial Revolution has put us down here. All I'm trying to do is show us what the, the gap is so that we can start moving back in the right direction. I get that that can, for many, be a fundamentally enormous shift. But once you recognize that that gap's there, unfortunately, it's a bit of a one-way door. Once you've seen it, you can't now really change and decide to ignore it. You know it's there. Yeah. You, you've just got to choose a few things, start on that journey. Don't try and do everything at once. You know, take some easy wins. Get those easy wins over the line and then start working your way down. Got it. Um, let's move uh, focus back onto uh, FutureFit as a foundation and your 
entrepreneurial journey and setting it up and kind of growing it over time. We have a lot of people listening to the podcast that are maybe about to set up a social business or that are kind of a bit earlier in their journey, um, or they're looking to set up a charity or a nonprofit in, in the space you're in or in a similar space. Um, what do you think has been like one of the toughest challenges for you to overcome over the last years uh, since you established FutureFit? And is there kind of any advice or lessons learned you can share? Um, I think I, one, one fundamental uh, thing I would say is um, if you can do it in partnership with somebody, do it. It, it it's a great fun journey and I would heart if anybody's thinking about it, I would heartily recommend I would walk up behind them and give them a gentle push over the edge and say, get on with it. But it is, it is hard. It, it is all consuming. Um, you know, be, be prepared for that. It, it will take over your entire mind, body, thought, everything. Um, so if you can do it with somebody else, That's great. I was very fortunate um, in that I I actually co-founded FutureFit. Hmm. I, I happened to meet uh, a guy called Dr. Jeff Kendall by complete chance at an event in in London. We found that we were both thinking about the same problem, but from from different sides. Um, and so we agreed together to set up the organization and to to head off on on the journey. And that's just been, I think, for both of us amazing because you've always got that other person to lean on so you know shared joys and shared sorrows along along the way but actually just having somebody else to help think through problems who ideally is a little bit different to you and is bringing a different perspective so that between you you can find your way through through problems yeah. so that would definitely be one big piece of advice um biggest challenge uh i think probably the biggest two one is always funding um, you know, we've, we've always, um, just been struggling to, to, to keep the lights on and to build the team. And, you know, we've been incredibly fortunate. We've been backed by a handful of really fantastic foundations who believed in what we're doing and have supported us well. And that's been, you know, we wouldn't be here without them. Um, but it is a deep frustration. We see so much money being quite frankly wasted, uh, by, all sorts of different sources. And we think, oh, you know, for a fraction of that, we could genuinely change the world. Mm -hmm. um, and to have enough money to think strategically and plan strategically rather than like for the next six months and then always sort of chugging forward. So I think that's always hard. The advice that's linked to that, I think for anybody listening would be try and avoid following the money, mm -hmm. follow your heart and follow the mission and find the money that will come with you. Because as you start to get dragged off, and it's incredibly tempting to get dragged off, the easiest thing for us would have been to become a consultancy. Mm -hmm. I mean, today we could stop all that we're doing, take FutureFit and be a consultancy, and we would easily make make good money and people would pay us for, for everything that, that, that we've done. Um, but we always said along the way, we don't want to be competing. We want this to be an open source thing that everybody else uses. So if we do that, we're fundamentally shifting and opposing what we started off to do so don't follow the money try and find the money that wants to to, to follow you um and then i think it's um accept that 
a lot of people won't see the big picture the way you do. Hmm. When you start out on this journey for yourself, you know, you have the best idea in the world. And it's unbelievable how stupid other people are because they just don't see your vision. They don't see your way of seeing the world. How can they be so stupid? Um, and, you know, and you will have hundreds of meetings with people who just don't get it for some reason. Um, and it's not because you're a bad salesperson. It's not because your idea isn't brilliant. It's just they just won't get it and they won't support you. Um, so know that up front. And then celebrate when you find the people who do and want to come on the journey with you and enjoy those moments. Don't let the um, don't let the, the the knockbacks and setbacks. Don't focus on those. Learn from them if you can. Right? What 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 could I have done better in that situation? Could that have ended up differently? What can I learn that I will use differently next time? But you know, if you focused on all those knockbacks, you 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 won't make it through the first year. So, yeah, do it with somebody else. Focus on getting the money to follow you, not vice versa. Don't focus on the setbacks. Focus on what you can learn and keep pushing to that next that next win. Wow, that's really valuable lessons to, to share. Thank you. Um, one last question I have. Uh, let's think about uh, the next 10 years. And if you think about future fit and especially not just future fit, but the world in 10 years time, how does the world look like if future fit succeeds and continues to succeed with what you're doing? Um, wow. If, if we succeed, um, there's a big if, uh, with it in the next 10 years, then ideally all of the, the biggest and most influential companies would be going on a future fit journey and um, tens, hundreds of thousands more of um, small and medium enterprises would be, would be following them. And what that would mean is a fundamental shift in the way businesses perceive what it means to create value and that we would shift from this idea of pure shareholder value to what we call system value. So yes, financially succeeding, but also because They're reducing their negative and increasing their positive environmental and social impacts, um, delivering their, their purpose through that. So if that were to happen, I think we would be seeing a wholesale shift in the global economy to at least changing direction. Um, I like to think that by 2030, I, I'm not entirely convinced really that we will like achieve the SDGs by 2030. Mm. But what I think success can be from here is a wholesale shift in direction of travel. You know, if we can turn a whole load of the tankers, that by 2030, we're at least mostly pointing in the right direction. Mm. If we're all going in the right direction, then actually the speed of transformation can accelerate, the speed of innovation can accelerate. And if the one, if one thing that we've seen through the pandemic is the incredibly short time frame that we can solve problems when we put the money and the effort behind it. And, you know, I mean, the, the, these, these vaccines now, which, you know, are looking incredibly hopeful, well, 10 months or so, right? They, they've come along. Incredible. Now imagine if in the next five to 10 years we could shift that way of 
corporate and indeed regulatory and governmental thinking. So that by 2030, we're applying that same, same, same type of mindset to climate change and to social injustice and all the rest of it. People say we don't know what good looks like or what the journey needs to be on are wrong. We do know that's being defined, not by Future Fit, we've operationalized it, but that those lines in the sand are understood. Yeah. And many, many, many of the solutions can and do exist. Not all of them, but many of them. We absolutely could power the world by 100% renewable energy if we wanted to, for example. We know how to do it, right? We, we know how to do it, but we're not doing it because there's so much money and politic and everything already invested in um, the carbon uh, infrastructure. Now, yeah. we can't change it tomorrow, could we change it over a decade if we really put our minds to it? Yeah, of course we could. Absolutely we could. So I think it's about trying to, you know, for us, success would be helping to integrate this way of thinking into enough organizations that along with all of the other things that are happening, say in, in 10 years' time, we've hit that point, that tipping point of there being enough focus on the right direction of travel. That through the 2030s and the 2040s, we can be making incredibly rapid progress on the things we really need to be, rather than many of the things which are kind of quite nice to have if you happen to live in the top 3 or 5% of the world's wealthiest people. But we actually focus on transitioning the world to a point where you know, we genuinely can flourish, we can turn the tide on climate change. Um, we can cope with the inevitable things that will come from what we've already built in. Um, that, for me, would be uh, uh, amazing success. And if FutureFit can play a role um, in helping get us to that point, then fantastic. Job done. Got it. Thank you very much. It's been really inspirational to speak to you and see how you're already uh, making part of that transformation happen right now. And thanks very much for taking the time today. It's, uh, it was great to talk to you today. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review, and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.